Hey, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 61 2. Psalm 61 2. This is our series scripture in this series called Lead Me. The reason we decided to go into this series was because we found that we were, we were leaning heavy, okay? Um, we were heavy on the service substance. In other words, we found that in March and April into May, when, when we conceded to close the doors of the building, because you can't, you can't close church. The devil can't close church. The government definitely can't. Okay, so, um, But we, we, we had to close the doors to the building. And, and what we found is that we were leaning very heavily as a church on just our Sunday morning services being like the main course or the main meal. And so in discovering that, we immediately, back in April and May, we were discussing how do we train our church that even if the government stands at our doors with assault rifles, okay, which is, I know, a really excessive idea until it's not. Um, <laughs> but even if that were to take place, and, and we were to become legitimately as persecuted as, as Asian Christians or Iranian Christians, if that were to be the case, would the church still multiply the way that it's supposed to multiply even under that kind of persecution? And I believe it can, and I believe it will, when we as Christians and believers learn to lead ourselves and not just lean on other people to lead us. Like, let Jesus lead us and then use us to lead others. So today I want to talk about leading your friends. Psalm 61, verse 2, it says this way, From the ends of the earth, I call out to you whenever my heart is faint. That's what I do. I call out to God. I, 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 don't, I don't complain because complaining is a sin. You can look that up in 1 Corinthians uh, complaining is a sin. It is legitimately a sin that can separate you from God's will. But I call out. I don't call other people out. I call out to God when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock, which is Jesus. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I need you to understand that at any point in Scripture where it was okay for someone to just simply be led... And not to lead. It was only for a short season. So that they could, in terms, gain their leadership legs. Because Jesus was never in the end on this idea of, of people just being led around. And not leading other people back to him. I want to talk about leading your friends. I, I, I want to talk about influencing your your, your circle of friends, the people that you would consider um, likable, maybe, you know, maybe some of them even like you. Uh, maybe you've just known them so long that, that they, don't, they don't really have a choice. Like, you just grew up with them. Like, they've been stuck with you since kindergarten. And, and now, for some reason... You guys live on the same street, whether you're following them or they're following you. It's just the friendship that you've developed over the years. Now, let me address two things here because I don't like for people to get confused about this. Um, the Bible clearly says 
that bad company corrupts good morals. Okay, so here's what people ask. If, if bad company corrupts good morals, and I actually made a post earlier this week. It's not in your notes, Proverbs 13, 20. Okay, if basically, if, if you're around, if you walk with the wise, you become wise, but the companion of fools is destroyed or suffers harm. Okay, so if, if bad company corrupts good morals, but I'm supposed to reach my friends that aren't living for Jesus, how do I weigh that out? How do I balance that? And teenagers have always asked me this, like, Pastor Chris, how, do we, how, how, how am I supposed to win the loss if I don't hang out with them? How, how, am I, how am I supposed to win the loss? Well, here's how you can know, okay? First of all, your heart is always the identifier. And here's how you can know whether you're doing this God's way or you're doing it for your selfish gain. If you are spending time with a friend because you want to influence them, then it's probably more evangelistic in nature. But if you are spending time with that friend because they are influencing you, then it is probably leading you in the wrong direction. If you are spending time with that friend because you know that you benefit them and you are having more influence on them than they are having on you, then you are right in line with sharing your faith and reaching your friends and growing closer to God together. But if you are spending time with people because it increases your popularity, it expands your platform. If you're spending time with people because it makes you feel better about yourself. If they are having more influence on you than you are having on them, then you need to evaluate that relationship. However old or young you may be. And let me just say this because I want to help, help all parents and grandparents. And you got to be careful how you say this because you got to have the right. But I definitely want to help our student pastor and our students. I mean, I do not believe in missionary dating. I do not believe in evangelism dating. What does that mean? It means I don't believe, sweetheart, that you're going to win him to Jesus. Listen, if he's not letting Jesus change him, you don't stand a snowball's chance in Hades. I'm telling you, if he ain't listening to the Holy Spirit, you ain't nothing but another check on his list. And you can't win her. Young man, elderly, aging, senior saint. The Bible clearly says in regards to this topic, Paul writes because he sees it happening in the church. He says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. At no point, by the way, that has nothing to do with race, which is a stupid idea and an evil interpretation. A demon told somebody that that had something to do with race. I'm telling you, it's sad that most demons know the Bible better than most Christians. I'm going to leave that alone, not going any further. To be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. In other words, if you think that you can get in a relationship with that person and your objective in that relationship is, oh, I'm gonna, God's going to use me to change him. I just believe that God wants me. No, no, no. As soon as you enter into that relationship, listen to me, you have stepped out of your relationship with Jesus and into a relationship that he didn't have for you. You are no longer in his will for your life. I believe that adamantly about being unequally yoked. Because I have seen young person and tenured person alike bail off a wagon 
on behalf of somebody else and use evangelism as an excuse to fill their selfish need. That's not what we're talking about today. I'm talking about allowing the gospel to work in your life so that it works through your life. Let me give you this statement. The gospel works when disciples are making disciples. I want you to notice, notice the plurality. It's a five-star word. The plurality of this word. I didn't say when, when a singular disciple makes a whole lot more disciples. Which is really the American model. Predominantly. An evangelist. A crusader, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher. One person makes a whole lot of disciples. And then when that person's humanity is exposed. Because they like money just as much as the rest of their congregation. When that person's humanity is exposed. Because they're tempted just as much as the rest of their congregation. When that person's humanity is exposed. The entire body breaks. Why? Because it was built around one person and that person was not the Holy Spirit and Jesus. It was a man that he was trying to use instead of men that he wanted to use and women that he wanted to use. The gospel works when disciples, plural, multiple disciples, take on the burden for their faith to go beyond themselves. See, we live in a society that thinks they're okay as long as they stop sinning. And the devil is perfectly content with you being satisfied with not sinning. As long as you don't speak up. As long as you don't have any influence. As long as you're not winning anybody. He will leave you alone and let you rest in your spiritual arrogance of not being as bad of a sinner as you used to be. But when you begin to understand your anointing and you begin to walk with the wise and become wise, you begin to draw people into your circle of influence. You become a disciple, which is not somebody who agrees with Jesus, but somebody who has put their belief in Jesus. It is somebody who wakes up in the morning thinking about following Jesus, makes decisions during their day based on following Jesus, goes to sleep at night asking and evaluating whether they did or did not follow specifically at times throughout that day the Savior that laid his life down for them. I'm talking about the one who said, if you continue in my word, not just agreed with my word or prayed a prayer at one point, but if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The gospel doesn't work when a man is convincing more men or a single woman is convincing more women. The gospel works at its best when disciples, followers of Jesus are spending their lives, the mission of their day is to make more disciples. I want to share this with you quickly. I need you to remember the tier of this series, if you will. It's the pyramid of influence. This series began with me leading myself. 
because I can't give people something I don't have. Okay? I would love to. I need to tap in to the American government policy and discover this business that we have of being able to loan money that we don't possess. That is a business venture. If you know how to do this, I want to learn how to loan people money I don't have and charge them interest and then grow in owing other people money all at the same time. Like it is a, it is an, it's an unbelievable idea out there. But, but realistically, I cannot give people something I don't have. And I cannot lead people if I'm not leading myself. The second tier is that I would lead my home. I would lead my home. Um, and, and by the way, that's whatever your home looks like. Um, whether you're single, whether you're widowed, whether you're single with children, or you're married with children, you're single with grandchildren, and for the most special people in the room, with great grandchildren, God loves you greatly. Come on, you didn't kill your children or your grandchildren. He gave you great grandchildren. All you have to do is buy them gifts. Like you have very little responsibility in that life. What a great season of life you are in. Whatever your home looks like. I'm talking about your, your family, your extended family, your immediate family. Okay? And then today we're talking about leading my friends. And then next week we'll talk about leading my community, which is your heavenly family. Being a part of that. We'll talk about that next week. Let's roll. I want to ask the question today. Here's what we want to answer. How do I lead my friends to Jesus? How do I lead my friends to Jesus? Because I believe, hear me, and, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings today. I just want to make you aware of what scripture says. I believe that if we do not lead our friends to Jesus, we will give an account to them and Jesus. We will watch, hear me, and some of you have heard me say this before. I, I think this is especially important for, for the younger generation that may or may not really understand this. What you need to know is that the decisions that you make today are affecting the way that people perceive you tomorrow. See, you think that you've got time to make the right choice. And I'm telling you that some people's clock is ticking. And they're watching you. And they're listening to you. And they're justifying their behavior upon your supposed belief. And if it sends them in the right direction then I believe that they will know when we get into eternity together, thank you for setting the tone. Thank you for following Jesus and allowing me to imitate you as you imitate him. But I also believe that even if you inherit the kingdom of God, there will be a point where we watch every individual judged by a holy, just, and loving Heavenly Father. And some of those people will be cast into an eternal lake of fire. And we will watch and know, I should have spoken up. And I, I just, I, I don't, this isn't necessarily scripture here, but I can just see, because we're all going to be there for that great white throne judgment. We're not going to be shielded from it. We might not be a part of it, like judged at that moment, but we're going to be there and we're going to see God separate the sheep from the goat. And we're going to watch people stand before God and be cast into the lake of fire. And I just see in my spirit, I, I, I don't, this is Chris, okay, but I, I just see some people right before they're cast over making eye contact with me 
and then being cast into eternity because I did or did not take the opportunity to get outside of my comfort zone and learn how to lead my friends to Jesus. If you're taking notes, the first point is pretty simple. Number one, invite them to church. <laughs> just a novel idea. Like, you don't even have to win your friend. You just got to bring your friend. We'll do it for you. <laughs> I don't know if you notice, but we don't do a lot on Sunday for people that have been in church for the last 20 or 30 years. Can I just confess today that our Sunday morning service is not for selfish saints? My bad. <laughs> this, Sunday, this Sunday morning service, I'm telling you, we are after the one. We are after the one 40-year-old single dad that walks in the room and going to give God one more chance that Sunday. We were after the one teenager that wonders if anybody cares. We are after the one mama who feels like she is at her wit's end, but walks in here on a Sunday because somebody said something about New Hope. She didn't even know where it was, but she looked it up because it popped up in EuniceChurch.com when she looked for church in Eunice because we bought it, not because we're the only church. We're after the one. Yeah, we're here to minister to the 99, equip the saints to do the ministry. And we want you to leave here encouraged every week. But listen to me. If you've been saved for more than a year or two, this service ain't about you. This service ain't about me. You know what I get from church on Sunday morning? Tired. <laughs> That's what I get. <laughs> well, you get paid. Careful. Careful on holding me to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Because God may not be doing it the same way that you think he is. How do I win my friends? I invite them to church. It, it really can be that simple. Let me show you what church is. It's, it's services. Yeah, Sunday services. That's a great way to invite your friends. Oh, by the way, don't just ask them. Offer to go get them. Like you show up at their door on Sunday. Hey, I invited you. You want to go? They're going to be like, uh, can we go to the next service? <laughs> Tell them you're coming. Hey, I, I want you to come. I want you to come so badly, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to bring you. You don't even have to drive. I'll take you to lunch afterwards. In other words, I'll do whatever it takes to get you around people of God in the presence of God and bring you to a service. Another thing that you could do is you could invite them to a freedom group. Now, you have to go to one. It's kind of a takes time, but A equals B, B equals C is, you got to go to one. And if you've been through one, guess what? The objective of you going through that freedom group was for you to discover how important that deliverance and discipleship 13-week curriculum was, that you would be so impacted by it that you just have to go back and bring somebody with you. And that ultimately you would be begging us to make you a co-leader so that you could lead your own freedom group the next semester. And people could experience deliverance and discipleship in the same measure that you have been. And then this, this, this fall, actually, it becomes so impactful that we begin to host our own freedom group conference retreat. Because we just got too many to keep taking the crossroads. <laughs> what a good problem. Invite them to a small group. Maybe you're not ready for a freedom group. It's a little intensive. Maybe you just like to have coffee. Invite them to a small group. Um, maybe you like to play golf. Maybe you like to fish, hunt, 
You can have a silent prayer hunting small group. It'd be great. Let's sign up for it. Be creative. Did you know that, that people are predominantly more likely to go to a small group than they are to a service? And, and let me say this. People are predominantly more likely to come to your home than they are this worship center. But if you can, hear me, but if you can get them in your house, you can get them in his. I'm telling you. Because they'll connect to you. And, and when they, by the way, when you invite somebody and they come on Sunday and they show up, don't just wave at them from across the room. Like, hey, hey, you came. Find a seat. We'll talk after. Got to get my Jesus on. <laughs> I'm up front. You want to come up here? I've been seeing people like drag me. I've seen, I've seen wives dragging husbands up to the, we are front seaters. We are not back seaters. <laughs> just go sit with them. Hey, you know what the, the most powerful moment in your ministry thus far could be? Is at the end of service when I ask people, to open their hands and repeat this prayer. If maybe in that moment you're praying for your friend and all of a sudden you know they hadn't been living for Jesus and you know if he called their name today they'd go straight to hell. But all of a sudden because they came with you and because you took them to your house or you opened up your home or you co-led a small group or you invited them to coffee or you did whatever it took to win that friend. All of a sudden now you've got them in a service and I begin or pastor, another pastor in this pulpit begins to, to pray a prayer of repentance and confession and you look over because you're a cheater. And you take one eye and you open it up and you look over at your friend and your friend has tears running down their face as they confess Jesus as Lord. It makes all the uncomfort worth it in a moment. Number two, invite them on your journey. If you're not ready to invite them to church, invite them on your journey. I love what Pastor Weston, the story Pastor Weston told, I can't tell you the name, but he was just in high school as a student, sophomore, junior years. I think it was before I met him. And he had a, a class with a friend every day. It wasn't a church friend, but it was a friend, an acquaintance, a guy that he was probably letting him influence, uh, letting influence him more than he was influencing God. But God, God used that anyways. He was in every class with him, and he would invite him and invite him and invite him. And he wouldn't spend time with him. And then finally that guy came to a, a, a student service, a youth service on a Wednesday night under Pastor Johnny Hunt, who is a great mentor of all of ours. And he, that, that student came to that church as a, a, an unbeliever with a broken home and all kinds of stuff. And by the time I got there in 2006, 2007, all I know of that guy is that he was one of the main youth leaders that was there early and stayed late every single week. And all that was was Pastor Weston inviting him to service and inviting him along in his journey. Invite someone along in your journey. In other words, you're saying, hey, let's go to the same hospital. I messed up too. <laughs> let's go to the same healer. His name is Jesus. We all need him. I want you to join me in this journey. That's one-on-one -on -one discipleship. You don't need a Bible college degree to invite somebody along in your journey. You just need to get over yourself and learn how to spend time with other people. You just need to learn how to let other people into your life. You just need to learn how to trust Jesus more than you trust someone else. It really is just about standing in the gap and saying, hey, let's do this together. Hey, there's a the really good, we missed it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I just finished it, actually. Uh, but there's a, a really good version devotional called Learning to Lead Like Jesus that we went through as a church a couple of weeks ago. 
If you didn't read that, I would highly recommend that you look that up. Bible.com or the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Learning to lead like Jesus. You've got to learn. Leaders are learners. You've got to learn. Acts chapter 11 verse 22 says, When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened. What had happened? Well, the church in Antioch had been under attack and it had split up. And, and the Christians, very similar to COVID-19, they just dispersed. The Christians just dispersed. And when the church of Jerusalem, that's the leaders of the church at that time, the, the apostles, heard that this had happened, they sent a man named Barnabas. Now, we're introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. I know that because I just studied it with our church in our midweek devotional this past Wednesday night online. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23, watch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. As if he believed that believers could become untrue to the Lord. As if he believed that the believers could be deceived just like the unbelievers. So when he got there, he encouraged the believers... To stay true to the Lord. Verse 24, Barnabas was a good man. More importantly, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was strong in his faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Please notice that this does not say by Barnabas. And it does not say, and he brought many people to the Lord. It says he encouraged the believers to stay true to the word. He was a good man, but more importantly, he was full of the Holy Spirit and strong in his faith. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit in him and the strength of his faith was an encouragement and an inspiration to the believers around him. And many people were brought to the Lord, not by Barnabas, but by Barnabas and the believers. Something significant happened in the lives of people, and people began to win other people. People brought people to the Lord. People won people to Jesus. Verse 25, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for uh, some guy named Saul. Saul was on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus in a vision, drew back, fell to the ground, ended up blind for three days, went to the house of a man named Ananias, and Ananias prayed over him. The scales fell off, and, and Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul would become Paul and write two-thirds of the New Testament. If Barnabas wouldn't have gone and gotten him, would we even have a New Testament? What a powerful story. Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. He brought him back. He went and looked. And then he brought him back. He didn't talk about him to other people. He went and he found him and he stood in the gap and he said, I know that you don't think you can do this, but I believe that we can do this together. Standing in the gap, I don't expect for you to live for Jesus alone. I expect for you to live for Jesus with me. We're going to bind ourselves in faith and we're going to get this thing done. Barnabas was saying to to Saul. Remember, he's not Paul. He's not a missionary yet. He's just known as a murderer of Christians. Barnabas is saying to Saul, I know you don't believe in yourself, but I believe in you. See, people need to know that you believe in them. I hope I can do this without embarrassing, but Brett needs to know I believe in him. He needed to know that Pastor Weston believed in him. Markeitha needed to know that I believed in her. 
the people in this platform and the people in our society. I'm telling you, I believe more in your evangelistic ability than you believe in yourself. I believe more in your ability to pray than you believe in your own prayers. I believe in you. If I didn't, I would do something else. Because my family misses my babies. But I'm not living for this. I have a higher calling. It's the place where Jesus is. And if we only get to see one another on occasion, it's okay. As long as I'm seeing people come to him. You can come along in my journey. But I'm telling you, you better put your running shoes on. Because I don't stay in one place for very long. Unless there's still people there that don't know Jesus. Number three, I want to invite you to share your story. Share your story. Did you know that that's all that Jesus did with the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman that he met at the well, that he gave the greatest revelation of worship for all time. He sat with her and he basically shared his story. Well, yeah, he's Jesus. <laughs> you know what he did then? He, t- he began to tell her her story. Watch this. When he showed her that her story could line up with his story, she didn't care who heard her story. He said, there's coming a day when you're not going to worship on that mountain and the Jews worship on this mountain, but we will all, and we're in that day, worship the Lord in spirit and truth because God is spirit. Watch what the Bible says she does whenever he convinced her of this. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar. You ever gone to do something and been so impacted by something else that you forgot to do what you went to go do? Happens to my wife a lot. And our children. And then I confess, it happens to me on occasion. I just get distracted. She was so distracted by her divine destiny that she forgot what she was even doing while she was even there. She says, left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone what? Telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Can you imagine this woman going back to the village to all these people that know she's been sleeping with five different women and men, not women, men, and the one that she's now with is not her husband? As if one of those is better or worse. Come on, judgmental Christians. That's funny. (laughs) Just go right there. Can you imagine? He told me everything I've ever done. Y'all know I've been sleeping with all these different people and now I'm shacked up with somebody I'm not in covenant with. And he told me. But he shared his story. And he convinced me that as bad as my story's been, it could line up with his story if I just come to him. She started telling everyone she didn't care about her past anymore. She didn't care about her problems anymore. Because Jesus had given us and given her a purpose that was bigger than her past. The Bible says, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. You know why? Because they need healing too. They needed saving too. And they would have never come to Jesus if you don't share your story. (laughs) 
That's the only way. There's two ends of the spectrum. Chris, you don't know how bad my story is. People here, they know me. Well, they knew her too. And the exposure, hear me, the exposure of her past was actually the evidence of her purpose. Jesus exposed her past to provide evidence for her purpose. Let me say it this way. What disgusts you about your past, God actually wants to use to deliver others. What is revolting about what you've done, where you've been, and who you were is exactly what God wants to use to bring somebody else into revelation of his sovereignty. What's disgusting to you is exactly what God wants to use as the deliverance for your friend, maybe for your long lost friend, maybe for the person that you've been praying for. Nobody here, listen, nobody wants to hear how perfect you are. They wanna hear how perfect he is despite what a problem you've been. <laughs> despite the pain that you're in, I will never in my life forget the moment that Kathy Markintel ran out from underneath her garage and made eye contact with some people in the church that invited me to be a part of a parade for her. This woman in the midst of fighting for her life she knew in whom she had put her trust and the exposure of her pain was the evidence of her purpose and she shares her story you gotta share your story finally you gotta discover your ministry that word is not nearly as intimidating as people let it be. It's actually right here on the wall. And it sounds kind of fun. Most people can't tell you what it is. Most Christians can't tell you what it is. But it's because you don't understand that the only way to find freedom is to know Jesus. And the only way to discover purpose is to walk in both. And most people stop with being satisfied about not sinning anymore. Here's the problem. Jesus didn't stop. He kept walking. So when you stop in personal satisfaction over the fact that you're not sinning anymore and Jesus keeps walking, what happens? The gap begins to expand. And people fall back into the freedom that they out of the freedom that they had found in him because they start following him at a distance. Why? Because he is ready to show them their purpose. He is ready for them to discover their ministry, no longer just be ministered to. Certainly at times there is a place for that and there is space for that, but for the most part, Jesus wanted to save you so that he could use you to save somebody else. To discover your ministry. 
discover your ministry. Let me read you a scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. All of the Sunday school types knew where I was going. But for some of you, this is going to be extremely revelational. Verse 11 says, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, just modern day church planners, pastor of pastors, apostles, the prophets, um, you know, people that would have told us about COVID-19, not who appeared with a half a million YouTube, uh, YouTube videos after COVID-19. <laughs> like, if you didn't prophesy COVID, shut up. <laughs> you don't have a post-COVID prophecy for me. It's the end of the world. Duh, stupid. It's been the end of the world for the last 2,000 years. I'm, I'm not impressed by your, prophetic, your post-COVID prophetic dream. Sorry, I'm not. Now, if you would have pre-COVID, that'd be all ears. Prophets, people who can tell the future, tell you what's coming. I'm not talking about a soothsayer or a palm reader. I'm talking about a man or a woman of God who can come up and speak directly into your spirit and stir something. Prophets, evangelists. Because some people just have that gift. I can name two people. I didn't ask permission. But that's okay. I'll apologize later. Richard Castile is an evangelist. Just an evangelist. He's not one way right here and one way out there. He just shares Jesus with everybody that God puts in his path. I'll give you another end of the spectrum. Ken Aguilar is an evangelist. You can't get away from him without getting the Bible. possibly the gospel, probably the gospel. He's just an evangelist. He understands that, that what he does for a living is not his identity. What he does for a living is a means or an opportunity to provide life to other people. And that's our identity, is to discover our ministry. These gifts, oh look, pastors and teachers. Yes, I am a gift to you. I tell my wife that I am God's gift to you. Okay. It's not a very good gift giver. <laughs> but here I am. What's our purpose? Well, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. In other words, the growth or dispersion the decline or the development of new hope it's not on me it's up to you this church isn't growing because of me yeah we have great worship we have great leaders God's helped me become a communicator I get that but I'm telling you a church is about way more than five people Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's about the people that make up the church. Whose responsibility it is to go out and do the work. Can't become satisfied with not seeing people saved. Give you another example, 2 Timothy chapter 4. You should keep a clear mind in every situation. One version just says, be sober-minded. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. 
Work at telling others the good news. Work. Work at telling others the good news. Don't forget the work of the evangelist. Work at telling others the good news. Hey, Christianity is not a free pass to the kingdom. It's work. Discipling someone, it's work. Come on, it may just be your children, but it's work. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Maybe your children's children. It's work. But I'm telling you, when you work at telling others the good news, it is worth it. The moment that it clicks, it's like opening that can of refreshment on the worst, hottest, muggiest South Louisiana day. And it changes. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given all the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. No, that's not what it says that he's given you. Fully carry it out. One more scripture, we'll pray. 1 Corinthians 12, which is where the gifts of the Spirit are, by the way. If you want to know what you're gifted in or where you may fit, you can go to Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. I like Romans 12. It makes it simple. It's like the gift of helps. I don't have that. I don't like to help people. I, it's a true story. Ask my wife. Like, I got stuff to do. Help yourself. <laughs> it's, I'm that way. Um, Becky Webb, Pastor Lydia's mama, she's not that way. She'd be in the middle of anything and cut your cupcake for you. <laughs> I'm telling you. She will... She just has the gift. It's just there. It's natural. See, some of you thought you were ugly because you had things to do and it bothered you when people asked for help. No, no, no. It's okay. It's part of your design. Just don't be a turd. <laughs> it's not okay to be ugly. Sometimes you got to swallow your pride and get out of your way and let God use you anyways. The gift of administration. That's a cool one. You help people like me. I just like to do stuff. I need somebody to administer all that mess I just made. <laughs> I need somebody to pick that up and put it in its proper place. I like this, the gift of leadership. Did you know that Romans chapter 12 says there's a gift of giving? I know I'm going over. I'm I just, this is, my, this is my heart. There's a gift of giving. Everybody doesn't have it. Everybody should be obedient as God purposes in their heart. And I believe in the tithe unequivocally. And if you don't, it's okay. You can be wrong. <laughs> I joke, sort of. But there's this gift. Like when you see somebody in need, you don't care what it costs you. Like, when you catch the vision of a pastor or a prophet or an evangelist or an apostle, you're ready to finance it. It's just in you. Like, you can't help it. When you hear about camp nights, we don't have to ask. You just come to us. And you're like, how many students can I pay for? How much food can I cook? When you see somebody needs a house, you're like, I got extra rooms. They can have this one. It's just in you. It's just a gift. Like you'll leave yourself with nothing as long as everybody else around you has what they think they need. <laughs> it's just in you. And then Romans, 1 Corinthians 12 says, hey, God works in different ways. 
But it's the same God who does the work. Not just in the apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. No, no, no. It's the same God who does the work in all of us. Verse 7, verse 7, and I'll pray. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. One version says, for the prophet, for the prophet of all of us. A spiritual, in other words, when you don't take the time to identify your spiritual gift, somebody misses your gift. Somebody's missing your gift. Somebody's missing. Somebody's missing your story. Somebody's missing your invite. Somebody's missing your investment. Would you surrender today and understand that Jesus didn't just save you from your sin. He saved you for someone. Would you bow your head and pray? Lord, give them three people that they can invite to church. God, give them three people that they can invite along in their journey that they should have called last week. God, give them three opportunities this week to share their story with somebody else. God, give them a burden not to just be ministered to or watch other people minister. Give us a burden, God, to go beyond ourselves and discover our purpose, our ministry, and begin to walk in it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is the moment for your friend that will be here soon. This is the moment for you. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus gave his life for you, and all he asked in return is your life for his. He wants to change your story. He wants to make your past line up with his purpose. He's that good. If you need to receive salvation today, you need to receive forgiveness today. You need to surrender your all to him. You need to commit or really commit your life to Jesus right now. I want to invite you, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, I want to invite you to open your hands right there where you are as if God is handing you a gift because he gave his only son that you have to receive. And with hands open and hearts even wider, I want to invite you right now to open your mouth and to use your words to confess him as Lord. Come on, let's confess together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, where I've sinned, where I've been selfish, cleanse me save me I believe you gave your life you were raised from the dead so I could be new take my life make it yours use me to build your kingdom may I follow you with all of my heart as long as I live in Jesus name everybody said amen come on praise God